Get Real with Lisa Crown podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Lisa Crown, and I've got an epic podcast for you today. That's right. Real Estate Roller Coaster Chapter number four is going down with the market wizard himself. I can't even, I can't even introduce him. You've got to hear, you've got to hear this introduction from one of my incredible students. She's in the top 5% in the nation. Miss Kelsey Myers is going to introduce um, this incredible keynote speaker that we had at our Elite Club Mastermind. The Elite Club Mastermind is basically a, a program that I offer to graduates from my coaching program. So I have this elite group of a tight network. They call themselves the Elite Club Tribe. And it's it's just packed with a punch, this program. We give a bunch of different best practices every month. We have a meeting every month, and we do one big-ass amazing mastermind every year. And so this year, this was our keynote speaker, and the tribe is down to share it with uh, my podcast. So thank you so much, and thank you to our keynote speaker for uh, this segment, because it was unbelievable. Start about, talk about getting your mind wrapped around the market today on a, a level that's going to educate you, stimulate your mind, and make you feel hopeful. So here you go, Kelsey, take it away. So Elite Club, I am super excited because <laughs> I, I'm kind of fangirling right now. I'm not kidding you. I've been doing this for 22 years at Fidelity. I've been in the industry for almost, it's going on 30 years here pretty soon. Yes, I started when I was 10. So I have been following this person and looking up to this person for over 25 years. Okay. Like when I got into the business, this person was already playing the game and always talked about as like being the one that you look up to in the mortgage industry. Okay. Um, he has been on multiple talk shows. He gives massive advice to all the lenders in the nation. Like my heart is racing right now because this to me is like the coup d'etat or coup d'etat right now. Um, it is the cherry on the top for me. And I'm like, oh, so excited. So I'm not going to say his name because I think that you guys need to kind of. Yeah, good call. See when it comes on. But just to give you a little flavor, Flav, he is a number one best-selling author on Amazon. And he makes frequent appearances on CNBC and Fox. He is the highest ranked speaker and trainer for over 25 years in the mortgage and real estate space. So um, is he on yet? I'm on. He's oh, here. Barry! <laughs> okay, you guys. <laughs> Barry Habib originated over 2 billion with a B in mortgages. Okay, you guys, we have the best of the best on our sales call right now with the Mastermind Elite Group and give it up for Barry Habib. Wow. We're so happy to have you, Barry. Thank you so much for being here today. You should hear, Kelsey's been talking about you for the last eight minutes. Have your ears been ringing? Oh my gosh. Well, Kelsey, thank you so much. You guys are so Thank you. Thank you guys. Thank you very, very much. Well, listen, let's let's get right down to it, right? Let's talk a little bit about um, what's going on in the marketplace, what to expect. So it's a scary time right now. You know, mortgage professionals, real estate agents, they're 
They're in a spot right now where they've seen a very big slowdown in the amount of purchases. Mortgage professionals are not only seeing on the purchase side, but on the refinance side, we hear of companies that are struggling. And I've, I'm almost embarrassed to say how long I've been doing this, please. Let me, uh, let me not admit to the amount of years, but I have been in a lot of different markets where it seems like during these times, a lot of people quit. And right after they quit, the market turns and it gets a lot better. And what I want to tell you is that I believe that right now is a great opportunity. We just have to show people that there's an opportunity. So I want to take a few steps with you today. I want to show you why there's a great opportunity. I want to try and use the time that we have, which I know is kind of short. So I'm just going to jump in. I'm going to share some slides with you. But before I do, I think that if you were to consider what drives this market right now, a lot of it has to do with mortgage rates. We know mortgage rates have gone up a lot. So buyers have hunkered down, but we don't have a lot of inventory still. The inventory is still very, very thin. And I'm going to show you that. The thing of it is, though, is that when we look at what could cause this market to accelerate, what could cause this market to really be uh, an opportunity is if mortgage rates come down. So now I believe they do, but I'm not just going to tell you why I think they will. I'm going to show you that so you could teach your customers. See, mortgage rates, it's very, it's very misinterpreted as to what drives mortgage rates. A lot of people think, oh, it's the Fed that drives mortgage rates. It is not. The Fed doesn't control mortgage rates. The Fed controls an overnight lending rate. Mortgage rates are very long-term rates, as you know, and they're based upon what inflation does. So inflation is the driver of mortgage rates. Why is that? Let me explain it to you. Let me give you an example. So let's just say if all of you wonderful folks were doing mortgages, but what you were doing was you were lending more money out of your own funds, or you had a fund that you were managing and you were lending money that way. So what you do is you lend money out, you get that loan, you sell it, you replenish your funds, you keep doing that. So let's just say you gave me a mortgage and that mortgage were, I don't know, we're going to pick some round numbers, $400,000 mortgage. And I give you every month a check for $2,000 as my mortgage payment. So right now you take that check that you get from me and you go and you buy a basket of goods and services. You get a shopping list of everything. Next month you get that check. It still says $2,000. Every month it's fixed. And you go and you buy the same list, shopping list, that to get everything on your list. Over time, though, you realize that you cannot get everything on that list. And that's because inflation has prices going up. And as prices go up, you got to leave a few things off that list now, right? So what's really happening? The check still says $2,000 that you get every month, but it doesn't feel like $2,000 you used to feel. It's eroding in its buying power. Its buying power is diminishing. And that's what inflation does. Now, when inflation is very low, like it had been, it was only like 1% like a year ago, remember? When inflation is very low, then you're getting very little erosion of your buying power. But now inflation's jumped up so much that that buying power is eroding much more rapidly. So the only defense that you have is in order for you to protect your buying power, you have to charge a higher interest rate. So as inflation goes up, your interest rate that you charge has to move up. It has to be a higher interest rate so that on another loan that you did for $400,000, instead of getting $2,000 a month, you get $2,300, $2,400 a month to offset the more rapid rate of erosion. That makes sense, everybody? We get a thumbs up. We make sense. Okay. So 
By the way, now you know more than like 99% of mortgage professionals and real estate agents because they don't understand what drives mortgage rates. It's inflation. And I'm going to show you even close up. So let's take a quick look at some slides together. So here we go. I want to explain why this is such a great opportunity in housing right now. But first, let's see what inflation is. Inflation, and here's the definition of it. It's just simply too many dollars chasing too few goods. So you got too much money chasing too little products. And if you think about it, if everybody wants to buy something and there's very little of it, they're going to bid the price up. You know, we've seen that in real estate, right? A lot of buyers, low inventory, prices go up. But that's with anything. So what does the Fed want to do? The Fed is, wants to do something. It's got an ugly name. It's called demand destruction. So they want to destroy demand. Now, how do they do that? Well, the Fed wants to take some of these dollars out. Now, here's what's interesting. Our country runs on credit. For every $17 of money, there's like 16 of it that's credit and one is cash. Imagine if all you could do was buy what you had in cash or savings. It would change things, wouldn't it? I mean, you think about the way an average person goes in to buy a car. When they go in, they could buy a $50,000 car just by signing a piece of paper. Now, meanwhile, the seller of that car, they got the $50,000, but the buyer didn't put up 50. So that money came credit. Somebody pushed a button, boom, credit was issued. And now out of thin air, $50,000 was created. So that's more dollars. So how does the Fed slow that down? While the Fed funds rate, the rate that the Fed controls, it does not affect mortgage rates. It does affect things like personal loans, uh, credit cards, car loans. So now, if that family were going to buy that $50,000 car, if the payment were 600 bucks a month, they might say, yeah, sure, I'll do it. But because the Fed's taken that Fed funds rate from zero to above three, it'll be above four when they hike again November 2nd. It'll be maybe four and a half or so when they hike again December 14th. That's a big difference. That means that monthly payment that family was going to pay, instead of being 600 or 700, it's over $1,000 a month. So that family might say, you know what? Maybe I'll just keep the car I have. So that's less money out there. And this applies to businesses too. Think about it. If you're a big business and you said, hey, I want to build a new factory or I want to acquire another company. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to borrow money. Well, again, when the Fed funds rates at zero, your payment's going to be pretty low because maybe you're paying a couple of percent above that. But now if the Fed funds rate goes to five, that's so much more money on that big loan of 300 million or 500 million. So the company might say, hey, the math doesn't make sense. I'm not going to do it. So as the Fed hikes rates, money goes away, right? So there's less dollars. And that's what the Fed wants to do. Now, something else you might have noticed personally is, hey, you could start to get a little bit more money in a savings account. But there's also things called risk-free investments like treasuries. Like if you take a look at a one-year treasury or a six-month treasury, that's considered to be risk-free. Why? Because you're going to get your money back. And also the duration, the period of time is so short that there's not going to be a lot of price variance or fluctuation. So it's a great investment. The problem is when it was like 0.001, it wasn't very exciting. But today you can get four plus percent. And after the Fed's done hiking again, that's going to go up to over 5%. Hey, that's a pretty decent investment. So you might say, you know what? Because the Fed's hiked, maybe what I might do is I might put more money in the bank. So instead of, instead of me spending it, maybe what I'll do is I'll save it. And that pulls money out. 
Now, at the same time, what have we noticed about goods? Well, all the shutdowns from China, from COVID, that's slowed down. That's kind of eased up. And now we get goods flowing into the United States and all the supply chain disruptions are easing. So we get more goods. So remember, what's inflation? Too many dollars chasing too few goods. So by making less dollars and more goods, we're seeing inflation showing very early signs that it's going to slow down. But the way that we take a look at this compared to mortgage rates is important. See, here's inflation, this blue line, and here's mortgage rates, the pink line. So through history, this is the same all, with, all the time. As inflation goes up, well, mortgage rates go up. Inflation goes down, mortgage rates go down. Inflation goes flat, mortgage rates go flat. And this would be a normal circumstance always with the exception of when the Fed had quantitative easing or QE. And I'm sure you've all heard the term. And really what that meant was that the Fed was buying all these mortgage bonds. And look what they did. They kept mortgage rates right here around 3% all throughout that period. So they wanted to keep mortgage rates very low. And they did. The problem was, was that they didn't pay attention to what was happening with inflation. See, inflation was extremely, extremely low. It was around 1%, right? But then something happened all that excess money, inflation started to move up and the Fed didn't do anything. See, the reason why the market's in the position that it's in is because the Fed was kind of asleep at the wheel. They could have had like an ounce of prevention. They could have, had, a, heaven forbid, if somebody's not feeling well, you know, maybe you give them some medicine and they start to get better right away. But if you let it go and it becomes severe, maybe they need surgery. Well, that's kind of where our economy is. The Fed could have started hiking rates gently here and we would have been okay. But now it's kind of like major surgery that they have to do because they've let it go too far. So as inflation went up, mortgage rates didn't move because the Fed was buying a lot of mortgage bonds. But what they should have done is they should have started reacting. But they thought it was what they called it was transitory. They made a big mistake and they thought it was transitory. So finally, they woke up earlier this year and they stopped buying mortgage-backed securities. And that's when mortgage rates started doing what they always do. And take a look, as soon as they stopped, inflation was going up, mortgage rates went up. And then when inflation dipped a little bit over the summer, mortgage rates dipped. Inflation started going up, mortgage rates went up. They always do this. So if we want to know when will the real estate market get better, when will the mortgage get better, when will mortgage rates come down, it's when inflation comes down. So let's take a look together. And I want to explain to you how you look at inflation. So Take some notes here, and I'm going to show you exactly how to understand this. So as we look at this chart, I don't want you to worry about this and say, oh, my gosh, that looks like it's a little crazy, Barry. Because remember, nobody comes out of the womb and starts quoting what the consumer price index is. Okay, This is all learned behavior. So we're going to explain it. It's not a big deal. So there's a couple of ways to look at inflation. A very popular way to look at it is called the CPI, the consumer price index. You may have heard it. Now, the consumer price index has a headline number, and then they have something called the core rate of inflation. The Fed is more concerned with the core rate because the core rate takes away food and energy prices. So you're saying, well, why would you take away food and energy prices? Because the Fed does not feel that they can influence that. You see, if there's a, I don't know, some sort of an OPEC cutback in production or they flood the market with oil, the Fed can do all they want by hiking rates, cutting rates. It's not going to change that. And food prices is something similar too. A lot of times food prices are determined by weather conditions and how crops would be perform in different weather conditions. Well, 
if the Fed hikes rates all they want or cuts rates all they want, it's not going to change the weather. So what they try to do is eliminate food and energy prices and come up with something called the core rate of CPI. Now, the core rate of CPI has gone all the way up to 6.6%. It was around 1%. It's gone all the way up to 6.6, which is way too high. So what does the Fed want to do? They want to see this come down by hiking rates. So how is CPI determined on a year-over-year basis? It's 6.6% higher. Actually, it's made up of 12 individual months, the most recent 12 months. So the most recent month we got was September. And if you go back 12 months, including September, brings you to October of 2021. So if you take October 21 to September 22, you add all these individual months up together, you get 6.6%. Now, when we were forecasting, we were saying, hey, I know everybody is saying that inflation's peaked. We didn't believe it. We said, no, it's going to be a brutal summer for mortgage rates and mortgage rates are going to go up. Why did we say that? Because the way that CPI is reported. So let's look at it together. Recently, we got the CPI for September. So September of 2022, when the most recent month came out, it replaced September of 2021. So notice how the new number was a lot higher than the old number. So that made the year-over-year reading go up. And it was something similar in August. August was a much bigger number in 2022 than it was 2021. That made CPI go up. The bond market hates that because when inflation goes up, mortgage rates go up. Now, we said once we get past this, things should start to change. So you might recall what we were speaking of earlier was there's a lot of reason to believe that inflation will start to slow down. But now, when the new data comes out, and the next report we're going to get is November 10th, we will get that for October of 2022. That's going to replace October of 2021. And notice that the October of 2021 number is a higher number. And all the numbers through the rest of 2021 and into most of 2022 are higher numbers. So as the lower inflation readings come in to replace the higher ones, the year-over-year number starts to come down, 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 down. And that's a big reason why we see, starting with the November 10th report that we get for October of 2022, we will start to see inflation numbers come down and mortgage rates start to improve. Now, folks, a big chunk of this is shelter. Now, shelter represents 39% of that core CPI. But what's happening with shelter costs is it's very interesting. See, they tend to lag because it's an average. So as you can see here, shelter costs are coming down right now. But if you look through most of 2021, shelter costs were going up. So as we get this average, it kind of looks like, remember when we go on a roller coaster? Maybe you guys still like to go on a roller coaster. Hey, I still like them. You know, if you're sitting in the front of the roller coaster, you could actually be headed down while the back of the roller coaster is heading up. So in the real world, in real time today, shelter costs, as I showed you here, are coming down. But the average from the past is still going up. When we hit January, that's going to be the hump, where now all the shelter costs, even by averaging it, will come down. And that's going to really push the CPI numbers lower.
And this will help mortgage rates get lower on an accelerated basis. Now, there's another aspect too. It's called the money supply. Remember, too many dollars in our money supply. And as of March, that will start to come down as well. So all things lead us to believe that sometime in the first quarter or maybe second quarter, we will see 5% mortgage rates. Now, think about what that means, right, team? Now, this is important for you to explain to people. A year ago, if you wanted to buy a home, you probably had to spend $50,000 more than the seller was asking. So you were essentially throwing away $50,000 above the value of the home. Maybe some cases more, right? Some less, but I've heard stories where it was 200,000 above asking price. I mean, I'm sure you guys know all the stories out there. So that wasn't the only problem with that. You couldn't even get terms. Sometimes you couldn't get in a home inspection. You couldn't even get an appraisal. Remember that? Well, today it's different. You're able to get a more normal market where you can negotiate price a little bit. So you have the best opportunity today to do some great things. The bad part is that rates are high, but you can get around that. So if you believe like I do that within the beginning part of next year, rates are going to come back down towards 5%. What starts to happen? All the buyers come out at 5%. At 7%, they're hunkered down. But 5%, they start coming out. And as they start coming into the marketplace, that's going to drive prices higher. But today, I could get a bargain. I could get a cheaper price on the home. And heck, you know what? Not only do I get the home I want at the price I want, but I can negotiate to have the seller give me the rate I want as well. You probably know of a program called a 2-1 buy-down. So that takes today's rate of 7% and brings year one's rate down to 5 Years two would be at six, and years three through 30 would be at seven. I can get the seller to pay for that. So the seller pays to bring my rate down to 5% for the first year. By next year, I get 5% by refinancing. So I get the rate I want anyway. I get a cheaper price today. And when rates do go back down to 5% under normal conditions, all the buyers come out and home values start coming up because there's very little inventory. That's why I see this as a great opportunity today. And it's important for us to explain that that opportunity exists. It's a shame that our Fed chair doesn't understand about how these opportunities, how inflation comes. And he admits that they don't understand inflation. We have to understand it better. All right. Now, the overall economy, I'm very proud that we were the first ones to say, and it's documented in July of 2021, we said by the end of 2022, we see us heading into a recession or being in recession-like conditions. Everybody thought we were crazy, but now it seems like everybody's saying that. And it's because when you look at the Fed, every time they start hiking, they lead us into these shaded areas, which are recessions again and again, over and over and over and over and over. And here's where we are here. They're gonna do it again. It's because the Fed, when they look at the economy, they're looking at data that has transpired. They're looking in the rearview mirror. And when the Fed hikes rates, it takes time for it to actually have an impact. It might take three to six months for the impact of a Fed rate hike to take effect. So they're looking in the rearview mirror, but they're making policy for what's about to happen over the next several months. This creates always boom bust cycles. So we think we're headed for a recession. And one thing that's telling us is the yield curve as well. Now, you may have heard the term inverted yield curve. It's a you know, 
crazy name, but let's understand what that means. So what is the yield curve anyway? So if you think of what, what is interest, right? Interest, we talk about interest all the time. What is interest? Interest is the price of time. Now, think about it. Let's just say you have money and I'd like to borrow it. Well, if I borrow your money, now I have use of it, but you don't. So I go out there and I can enjoy that money. You can't. So you should be compensated for that. And of course, there's a difference for the amount of time that I'm going to use it. If I said to you, and let's say we were friends and I said, oh my gosh, you know what? I left my wallet upstairs. Uh, could you spot me a hundred bucks and I'll pay you back as soon as we get back? You probably aren't going to charge me interest for that because it's very short time. But if I said, hey, I need to borrow $50,000 for 10 years, you're probably going to want some interest for that, right? So you get a higher rate of interest for the longer the period of time that you want to borrow it. That's called the yield curve. So very short period of time, little interest. Longer period of time, higher interest. But today, it's not the case. You see, what's crazy about today's market is that longer periods of time are offering lower interest than shorter periods of time. This happens when the Fed is pushing up the short-term rates so much and slowing the economy and slowing inflation expectations. So therefore, what you're looking at, folks, is you're looking at what's called an inverted yield curve. That's when things like the 10-year treasury is cheaper than the two-year. And it's a sign that the economy is headed for recession. In fact, every time that's happened and it's indicated in red, you get a recession. Inversion, recession, inversion, recession, again, 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 again here, and here's where we are. We're going to have a recession. So what does that mean? Recession means a slowdown. But some people will say, hey, we can't have a recession because the unemployment rate's too low. Now, this is a Fed governor. They vote every year. There's only 12 people that vote on the most important price in the world, and that's the price of money. And this guy, Chris Waller, he recently said, I can't see a recession with a 3.5% unemployment rate. Well, I want to show you a chart that shows that's exactly when it happens. See, you don't get recessions beginning when the unemployment rate is high. They actually begin when the unemployment rate is at its lowest level and then starts to move up a little bit. And you'll see here for the past 100 years, it happens every single time. Unemployment rate comes down, 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 starts to tick up, recession. Again, 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 again. And here's where we are. You don't have to be a mathematician to see that we're kind of near the lowest level. So why does this phenomenon happen? Here's the explanation. If business is good and you're really busy, you got to hire people. So as businesses do good and they start hiring people, the unemployment rate drops because they're taking people that were unemployed and hiring them. Well, eventually when things start to slow down, unfortunately, what do you have to do? You let people go. By letting them go, they start to take their unemployment benefits and that causes the unemployment rate to start to tick higher, as you can see here. The thing of it is, is that those newly unemployed, they change their spending habits. They're not gonna go out and spend as much money because they're unemployed. So the businesses that they used to frequent and spend their money at, they see a slowdown. So what do they do? They let people go. And you get now the cycle starts to perpetuate itself. And that's why you get this big run up in the employment rate and a recession that follows. That's why this happens. So the Fed doesn't see it that way because they say, hey, it looks like a soft landing because they can't see past their hand in front of their face. They say the water's calm here, but they don't see what's ahead. All right. So 
assume we do have a recession. What does that mean for us? Well, for mortgage rates, it means that mortgage rates go down. The last recession, mortgage rates went down by 1% and then down even more. The one before, they went down by more than 1% and then a lot more. Here, almost 1%, but then a lot more. Here, two, two and a quarter percent and then more. Here, 5%, here, 4%. So we know that mortgage rates go down during recessions. But what about real estate? Real estate's important to, to note too. And by the way, when it comes to understanding zero point loans today, they're very hard to get. And your lenders might be complaining, I can't get my customer's zero point loan. Why is that? Because if a customer is paying zero, somebody has to be buying that loan at a premium so the lender could get paid, the mortgage originator could get paid. So they're buying that loan above par. So $500,000 loan is getting purchased for $510,000 so everybody could get paid and the customer doesn't pay any points. Why would somebody do that? Why would I spend $510,000 for a $500,000 loan? Because I typically get a much higher rate of interest. And over time, that really pays off because maybe there's like a two-year break even. But if that loan is typically in my hands for six or seven or eight years, man, I made a lot more money on that zero-point loan. So I really cleaned up. But what the smart money out there is saying is they're saying that these loans aren't going to last for two years, that everybody's going to refinance them. There's a strong belief that rates are going to come down and therefore they don't want to take that risk. I don't want to spend $510,000 for a loan that's going to only pay me back $500,000 to get an extra half a percent or three quarters of a percent in interest because I'm not going to keep the loan long enough to make my money back. So what do they do? They make it very painful or discourage it altogether. That's why you can't get a zero point loan today very easily. But what it does mean is that the smart money believes that rates are coming down and down in a big way. So that's good news. Now, from the housing front, when we take a look at how does this impact housing if we have a recession? Well, I want to show you that many people believe that it's not good for housing. But in fact, if you look at eight out of the last nine recessions, home values actually went up during and after the recession. Just one time it didn't. So why was this? Well, during the Great Recession in 2006, seven, eight, nine, it wasn't because housing was the problem in and of itself. It was too many homes built and not enough people to buy them. Yes, it's true. We had crazy products. We had pay option arms, no income, no asset, no job, zero down, 580 FICO. Sure, that helped contribute to it. But the real reason was supply and demand. So how do you measure supply and demand in the housing market? Well, supply is easy. That's builders putting up new homes and completing them. That's supply. Demand comes from household formations. So let's just say you have a family, mom, dad, and a kid. They're living in one home or one apartment, wherever. Now that kid comes of age and the, median, and the average age is 33 years old. So, and they say, I'm going to move out. So now it's the same family, still mom and dad and the kid, but instead of having one home, they now have two. That's called a household formation. And what we saw in 2006, seven, eight, and nine was this, the blue lines, household formations. So you had a big drop in the amount of households being formed, but yet builders put up too much supply, more homes than in history. 
2 million homes built, less than a million households formed. And what that did is it created imbalance. And look at 2007, kind of same thing in 2007, eight, and by 2009, you had a whole big housing bubble. So what caused all this? Well, what caused it was birth rates from 33 years before. Remember we talked about that this is that 33-year-old moving out and getting their own place? Well, 33 years before 2006 was 1973. And take a look what happened in 1973. Birth rates fell off a cliff. And the reason for that was because abortions were legalized that year. Now, I'm not pro against, I'm not being political. I'm just giving you the reason why birth rates dropped. Birth rates dropped because abortions were legalized. And look at this big drop when abortions were legalized. They stayed low and then they started to go up. If you look at 33 years later, big drop, stayed low, started to go up. Isn't it amazing? Because those people were born and 33 years later, you can see what's happening. Now, if you want to know why the housing market's been so strong, it's because of this. Too many people wanting homes, not enough homes being put up in supply. So more demand than supply makes for a very hot housing market. And that's where we are today, ladies and gentlemen. So you look at 33 years earlier, it's like a hand in glove, 33 years later. Now, how many households are we forming today? In the US, we're forming about 1.7 million households. Okay, that's demand. Now, how many homes are builders putting up? Well, they're completing about 1.4 million households. So they're reluctant to do so because they learned their lesson from 2006 to 2009. So they're not putting up a lot of homes and that's keeping supply tight. So can you imagine when rates drop, all these buyers come back on the market, what's about to happen? You're gonna see pricing accelerate and home prices go up and people that buy now are gonna make a lot of money. I know people try to compare to the housing bubble, but folks, let's take a look at inventory. Inventory is important. In 2006, do you know that there was 4 million homes for sale? Today, there's 1.25 million homes for sale. I mean, that's less than a third of the total inventory that you had back then. And we're near historic lows. Now, I know we say there's 1.25 million, but some people might look at it and say, yeah, but look at the big increase we've had this year. Inventory has gone up from April to over the summer by a lot, right? And maybe that's troubling. Now, folks, please pay close attention here because this is a look at one year and it does look troublesome. But what if instead of looking at one year, we looked at 10 years? Do you see a pattern? And here's why. Remember when you were a kid and a new child would come into the class in the middle of the school year? It was hard for them to adjust. And sometimes kids could be mean too, right? So parents know this. So parents today would like their child to start at the beginning of the school year. That means they have to have moved into their home over the summer, June, July, and August. So the home that they sold has to happen when in order for them to do that. If they're selling a home, they got to be selling that home April, May, June, July, or April, May, June, July. April, May, June, July, every single year, April, May, June, July, inventory goes up and then it comes back down. And you can see it's already starting to happen here. So don't let the media fool you with this stuff because they just don't understand it. This cycle happens every year. Now, while I did say there's 1.25 million homes in inventory, that doesn't tell the whole story. That's the number that they give you. But you know what's 
not told, talked about is that included in this number are the homes under contract. Now, your realtor is not going to say, hey, look, let's knock on these people's door. They already sold their home. It's under contract. They're closing next week. Let's go take a look and see if we can see. No, you can't do that. It's off the market. There's 518,000 homes that are under contract right now. So in this country of 340 million people, there's only 732,000 homes that are active listings or a 1.9 month supply. It's very tight, folks. It's very tight. And when the market improves in a rate standpoint, it's going to be even tighter and prices are going to go up. Normal is 25% under contract today, 41% under contract. Homes are selling in 19 days. And you can see earlier this year was the lowest level of inventory ever. So yeah, do we have a little bit of a normal build, but it's going to contract here. You could already see it start to roll over. So inventory is going to get tighter just at a time when buyers are going to come back. Now, I know people are going to try and scare you and talk about foreclosures. And that's been a big thing that people have been talking about. And there was an article a few months ago that said, oh, dramatic increase. Foreclosure filings are up more than 150%. Team, when it comes to data like this, the media always tries to scare you. This is from CBS Market Watch. Okay, is it true that they're up 150% from last year? Yes. But last year, there were moratoriums. You couldn't do foreclosures for most of the year. So from very, very low levels, sure, it looks like it's up, but it would be the second lowest level in history. And if you take a look from a more normal time, we're like half of what it is from a normal time. And when the market was in trouble, we're down 90% from when it was in trouble. So foreclosures are clearly not a problem. Let's please remember that when, it, when you take a look at average equity in the home today in America, 58% of the home value is equity, 42% is loan. 34% of homes are owned free and clear. It's amazing. Now, a big thing that people talk about is affordability. So let's pay close attention to this one because you might see this a lot. They put, Diana Olick brings this up on CNBC all the time. So let's understand it. So here's the point that they make. In 2021, last year, if you were buying a home and you needed a $400,000 mortgage, the rate was a lot cheaper. It was in the threes. So your payment was about $1,800 a month. And according to Fannie Mae, the average amount of income that that household was making for this kind of a mortgage was $9,000 a month. Now, this year, we know real estate values have gone up from last year. They've gone up 15%. So you got to borrow 15% more. So instead of $400,000, you got to borrow $460,000. Well, that's going to increase your payment. And what about the rate? The rate's much higher at 7%. So that's going to increase your payment. So your payment's about $1,300 a month more than it was. And certainly, that's going to affect affordability. But you know what the media doesn't tell you? Is that your income didn't stay the same. Now, ADP, the payroll company, they have 25 million records. That's huge. And they tell us if you stayed at your job, your income went up 7.8%. If you switched jobs, it went up almost 16%. So they averaged it out, since most people stay, to about 9%. So if this income went up 9% from last year, well, then what you are is you're mitigating this by a lot. Now, not all of it, certainly, but you're whittling away at it. Now, the bad news is, is not only did your mortgage payment go up, but because of inflation, you have more gasoline, food, and services. So really, this is the market we're in now, and this is the problem. It's costing up that family $1,500 a month more, but their income's only gone up 800 And that pain 
is being reflected in the slower real estate market today. But here's the thing, T. Let's be smarter than this. What we have to do is see beyond the headlights. So let's please remember, next year, what's going to happen? Well, the rate can't change because you've locked it in. You've got a fixed mortgage rate. The only thing that could happen is if we're right and rates come down, you can bring your payment down by refinancing it. But let's just say you keep the 7% rate. What about your income? Well, if we listen to ADP and increase this by 7.8%, now we've mitigated the whole affordability issue. So in 2023, affordability is not going to be a problem. If anything, it'll improve if we're right and rates go down. That's why this is such an incredible opportunity, but most people can't see it because it's very difficult to go beyond and see into the future. This is why we think that those people that are smart right now and are looking to purchase homes right now will be very handsomely rewarded because remember, most of the time they're going to stay there for eight or nine years. Look, wealth is created with real estate. Now, historically, values are going up at about 5% a year. But if we just said 4%, 4% is not bad. How much wealth can I create? Well, here we go. A $400,000 purchase price. If I put 10% down, my investment is $40,000. That's 10% down. So my investment's $40,000. If that home goes up 4% on $400,000, my profit is $16,000. Now, a $16,000 profit on a $40,000 investment is a 40% rate of return on my money. And this is why so many people create wealth with real estate. And let me just show you something that's really kind of fun. Kiplingers, they did a study, big study recently. And we'll listen, let's face it, we're all doing this because we want to try and, and have financial freedom, financial you know, stability, and we want to create wealth. So what would it take for us to be in the top 1% in the United States, the very top 1% of net worth? So just as a reminder, net worth is all your assets minus all your liabilities. So everything I have minus everything I owe, what's that number? Now you want to be, whoops, you want to be in the top 1% in the United States, you have to have $10.8 million. Big number. That's to be in the very, very top. Okay, but how about the top 2%? That's still a pretty darn exclusive company. You need two and a half million. How about the top 5%? What do you need? A million dollars. That's in the top 5%. Now you want to be in the top tier, the 90th percentile, you want to be in that really, really top range there, the top 10%, you need 800,000. The top 50%, you need 500,000. So while that's important, what's most important about the study that Kiplingers did is that they showed that on average, on average, two thirds of your net worth is from home equity. Folks, you want to be wealthy? You've got to be in the real estate game. You have to own real estate, whether it's for yourself, investment property. You can't be a renter and be looking at gaining net worth. Two-thirds of the net worth comes from home equity. Our housing forecast for the year, we see low single-digit appreciation this year. Maybe some markets like Seattle, San Diego, San Francisco, LA, Denver, maybe Austin, some markets that went crazy. They'll probably come in a little bit, 5 6%. But most of the country will be flat 
to 3 4% appreciation in that range. Rents are going to be pressuring this too, because rents, remember, our new rents are going up at 13%, and renewals are going up at 8% right now. What we want to try and do is grow exponentially. You know, that's a 1, 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64. You know, that's exponential growth versus linear growth. Look, let me give you an example. If you took a penny a day and doubled it, 1, 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, at the end of a week, you'd have 64 cents. But what if I did this? What if I started just one week earlier? And I said, let me get started a week earlier. Instead of 64 cents, I'd have $82. And man, what if I was really ambitious and started a week before that? Well, by now I'd have $10,000. If I started a week before that, I'd have 1.3 million. If I started a week before, two days before that, I'd have 5.3 million. And just one day before that, I'd have 10.7 million. So what's the lesson here? The lesson is that procrastination is an absolute killer. If you want to implement something, if you want to do something, do it and get started right away because procrastinating will rob you, will rob your family of the wealth that you deserve, folks. Give a round of applause for Barry, everybody. Thank you, Lisa. Brought you the ultimate market wizard today. So what'd you think? Epic, right? Oh my God, Barry Habib, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your words of wisdom, your encouragement, your hopefulness you instilled into my tribe. I mean, honestly, days after the mastermind was over, people were on cloud nine and it's so fantastic to see my students and the people that I work with just feeling so much more optimistic about our market. So thank you for that. Touched us and we appreciate it so much. Thank you guys for listening, tuning in. You can catch me on lisacrown.com, Facebook, Instagram, DJ Kick It Away with something that just pumps us up because we're feeling good. We're feeling good, DJ. Hook us up. Thanks so much for listening. 